SBS Radio. I'm Bertrand Tungandame at the Doctors for the Environment Australia's annual conference exploring climate change and health. In the sidelines of the event, I'm joined by Dr. Deborah Dunk after her intervention in the First Nations Voices Working Together to Protect Our Country panel discussion. Welcome to NITV Radio, Dr. Dunk. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to yarn with you, Bartram. <laughs> now, we are catching up in the sidelines of uh, Doctors for Environment Australia, a big conference taking place this weekend around mainly environment and health. You made a very powerful intervention, but one keyword that came out, be enraged. Tell us about that. Absolutely. It, um, I, I would never, ever have associated myself with um, the encouragement of people to be enraged but I heard a few things by um, by speakers and I was thoroughly shocked and disheartened and disillusioned around uh, some of some of what those speakers had to say I was somewhat happier to learn that uh, many of the the people in the audience who also listened to that speaker were also um, horrified. I think Australia needs to understand the impact of what will happen if the Beetaloo, and I'm not going to say if actually, when the Beetaloo is fracked, because it's going to impact more than we can possibly imagine. And this is not an issue for Aboriginal people around rights to land. This is an issue around Australia's right to life. It's an issue for us around our water security. So none of us can be complacent about the depth and the width of the rage that we need to be feeling right now. Multinationals are spreading a narrative around this being a good and okay thing to happen, and it is not. The ongoing impacts will be devastation, not just for people across the Barclay. You know, people people will say, oh, there's only about eight and a half thousand people so some people have to make the sacrifice for the greater good but aboriginal people in remote communities across many parts of australia are sacrificing constantly when will the rest of australia say enough we experience the highest rates of illness and poor health the highest rates of non-access to things that most other Australians take for granted and we are now expected to accept for the greater good of the rest of the Australian population the desecration of country that we have called home that has nurtured us for thousands and thousands of years. My rage grew today because I heard someone from the Australian Labor Party say that we have to be prepared to see climate refugees in this country. The audacity of a politician to allude to 
Aboriginal Australians as climate refugees is probably one of the most violent experiences that I have experienced. And so, yes, I am absolutely and utterly enraged at the arrogance of being referred to as a potential climate refugee. How dare a politician assume that right? That's quite disturbing to hear that and uh, knowing that uh, they're talking about your country, the reservoir of uh, fresh water, the Great Artesian Basin. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's an area of great interest for mining companies, fracking companies looking to come and exploit the land. And I think we're not just talking about the exploitation of land or country, as as we often say as First Nations people. We are looking at the exploitation of people, of humanity, of the human population across the Barclay Tablelands, because already... We are, we are hearing conversations about companies wanting to extract water from a place called Madarenka. Uh, we are hearing of companies wanting to establish mines to extract sand, all to support the fracking of the Beetaloo. So there's this great excitement about the economics of the act of the uh, fracking process but what about the people who live there because invariably the people who are engaged in the abuse of the country of the desecration and destruction of this country do not live there they work there to fill their pockets with money where they then go away to their retirement, their comfortable um, middle suburban lifestyles in greater centres either in Australia or overseas, leaving the Aboriginal people again to deal with the fallout. So the destruction and the desecration and the, you know, the trying to balance the idea that this is going to be about my uh, about jobs for a whole range of people um, it's let's be really clear what it's about it's about the destruction of communities and it's about Aboriginal people again being the people to pay and coming from an education background you touch so many topics I was just listening with a great interest uh, you spoke about the issue with teachers on uh, your country the one strike last week and you mentioned really something that's very very important having a turnover of a ton, you know more than 40 teachers in a space of how long did that happen and how much time did we experience that time? It was a number of years ago now, but across the space of 18 months when I was a a senior teacher in a remote uh, school, we had um, a turnover of 40 teachers. So we understand the complexity and the difficulty about living in these places, but that does not give those outsiders the right to come and destroy our place because 
It's where we have lived for thousands and thousands of years. It has nurtured us. It has taken care of us. And I really desperately want for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's grandchildren to be able to be nurtured at the same water holes on the same country that my ancestors have been nurtured on for the past, you know, at least 60,000 years. That's one topic you covered and all the other participants also spoke about it, about connection to country and healing. It's something that's uh, missing in the conversation about environment and health. Yep. I I think... um, Western communities are really smart about siloing knowledge. And so we typically, if we, if we work in education, we don't spend a lot of time informing ourselves around issues in health. If we work in finance, we don't, have, we don't spend a lot of time um, educating ourselves around the impact of, um, you know, what, what our economic policies are on Aboriginal people or people in low socioeconomic communities. So the siloing of knowledge is something that is being taken advantage of because I feel that parts of the community are being held, you know, in this vacuum of information and and people are being fed just parts of the story. Just a closing word before I let you go because I caught you at a time when there's a lot happening. Just a closing word for us. I think that as Australians, we need to um, have a little think about our history and our um, ongoing narrative around being the lucky country, about taking care of our mates. And I think it's time that we widened the understanding of mateship to include Aboriginal Australians. We are the first Australians. We know this country inside out, literally, because where you walk today is on the dust made of the bones of my ancestors and the ancestors of every other First Nations Australian. So let's be genuine about our tradition of mateship and about our tradition of being the lucky country and include the people who continue to ensure that it is genuinely the lucky country. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. 